0: Welcome back to the Dr. Sex Fairy podcast. I am Dr. Kaval Baba, and I am here as always to transform your life. I am here to start a conversation, a conversation about sexuality and more, but always a conversation that is respectful, meaningful, and truly informative. I have opened my heart and my Boca Raton, Florida medical practice, Baba Medical, to all, including the LGBTQ community. June is Pride Month. It began in 1999 as Gay and Lesbian Month. In 2009, it started being called LGBT Pride Month, and in 2021, it became LGBTQ Pride Month. As gender identity and sexual preference have evolved, so has the name. There's a lot of confusion among the straight population about what the different labels even mean. I have invited to this podcast my friend Robert Boo, to help us decipher modern-day non-heterosexuality. Robert is the CEO of Fort Lauderdale's iconic Pride Center, an organization that I support in many ways. Robert is tall, handsome, and a proud gay man. He makes me laugh, and he always makes me think. Welcome to the Dr. Sex Fairy podcast, my friend.
1: Well, hello there. How are you? I just love talking to a sex fairy.
0: (laughs) Dr. Sex Fairy. (laughs) Doctor. Yes, that's important. No, really, thank you so much for being here. I have so many questions for you. You and I have such great conversations that we would be doing our listeners a disservice if we didn't bring you on. So, so many questions, but let's start with your story. When did you first realize that you were attracted to men? So I very
1: distinctly remember as a child, being around five, six, years old, and I'm going to show my age here, but I remember looking at Bobby Sherman on TV, and I just loved how his hair just flowed as he was singing and performing on TV, and I just thought he was just so handsome. That's Uh, funny. But I also knew that I was attracted to the other guys in my class, but because I grew up in a very tiny town of 900 people. I knew that I couldn't talk about it, and I needed to keep it to myself.
0: Where did you grow up?
1: I grew up in Indiana, right off of Lake Michigan. It's a very small town called Westville. Uh, It's uh, 12 miles off of Lake Michigan, and um, it it still is. Only a very small town of around 1,000 people.
0: So how did your parents... Take this. I mean, were they accepting? Was it hard for them?
1: Well, you know, it's funny because I tell the story of my father when I was growing up was Archie Bunker from all in the family. Stereotypically, Archie Bunker, prejudiced, opinionated, um, not open minded, did not like change. And um, so that's what that's the environment I grew up in. My mother was not like Edith from all in the family. she's very kind, very sweet and but my father he was very prejudiced and so um yeah that's the environment I grew up in and and I remember thinking, "Oh my God, I will never be able to tell them and then, at the age of thirty two I sat down with my parents because um my first love had uh, passed away and um, was actually supposed to be moving in with me and my parents came to my house in New Orleans at the time and I sat them down and I explained how much Tariq meant to me and that he wasn't going to be my roommate, he was going to be my partner and that because he had passed away very unexpected, unexpectedly. First words out of my father's mouth was, You're our son, and we still love you. And I looked at him and I went, Oh my God, what happened to Archie?
0: Archie loved you.
1: Archie loved me, and it was the most amazing experience. So when people talk about, you know, they can't change or, you know, um, the environment that they've lived in, it won't get any better. I use my father's example. He was the most prejudiced person that I knew. And yet, as I was an adult, he knew all of my friends. They entertained my friends. They would visit me for every holiday. And yeah, the first thing out of his mouth, you're our son and we still love you. It was amazing.
0: At the end of the day, love is love, right? And I think your father understood that.
1: Way ahead of his time. But, yeah, even, you know, from a small town, because both of my parents were raised on farms in rural Indiana. So they had no idea about anything of this.
0: See, there's hope for everyone. So... You mentioned, sure. you mentioned Tariq, and we discussed him at lunch a few weeks ago. Now, to our listeners, I'll give them a bit of a background on this. Your partner, Tariq, was Pakistani Muslim and came Correct. from a very conservative background. And if you weren't discussing it with your family, he certainly wasn't with his. So how did that very unique and very loving relationship in your life that in many ways exists to this day, because you speak of him so fondly even today, tell me how that began.
1: Well, we actually met when I was living in Chicago. He worked for the National Bank of Pakistan, had moved from Pakistan to New York, New York to Chicago. And we met in Chicago and it was actually after The first Madonna concert that I saw in um, the stadium where the football uh, games are played, which is escaping me right now. But we're on the train after the Madonna concert, and he flashed and fluttered those long brown eyelashes at me, and he was just stunningly handsome. So we met on uh, on the L in Chicago, and... Um, so yeah, he uh, uh, was handsome, kind, sweet, um, but because of his situation with his family and being Muslim, he could not come out to his parents at all. In fact, they kept on trying to arrange marriages for him, and he kept on telling his father, oh, I can't get married. I'm, I'm impotent. I'm imp-. He was coming up with every excuse under the sun of of why they, why he couldn't um, be a part of an arranged marriage that his parents were trying to do.
0: Isn't that something? And when he passed away, you had an interesting um, situation with his family regarding his belongings.
1: Yeah, um, well, and it's, you know, one of those tragic stories of I was actually, he had flown from the United States to Pakistan to visit his father, who was ill. And, um, and we had corresponded, and back then we were corresponding via letters. And so we were writing each other. And, and he was like, I, I'm moving to New Orleans. I'm going to open up a business so we can be together. And I was literally waiting for him, for his flight to arrive, and he didn't. And I, at the time, I thought, okay, well, maybe, who knows? I have no idea what how, what number of flights leave out of Pakistan, where he was living in Lahore. Um, and then I, I didn't hear anything. So I called his, his parents' home, and his um, mother answered the phone and said, Tariq is very ill. He has meningitis. Um, and... She didn't speak a lot of English, but um, and so I was like in shock. I remember being at work at Tulane University Medical Center and I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God, I don't know what to do. And I called the next day and talked to his sister. And that is when she let me know that he had already passed away. And with their religious beliefs, they bury they're um, dead within 24 hours and he was already buried before I I even knew so yeah it was very devastating so I wrote a letter to his parents because all of his stuff was still in storage in Chicago and I said if there's anything I can do to assist you I'm in New Orleans but I go back to Chicago I'll be more than happy to assist in any way shape or form that I can and they never responded. Um, so to this day, I have no idea where Tariq is buried. Um, I still, every now and then, I hold on to the hope that he's going to actually show up. I will watch the news and anything that's going on in Pakistan. I, I will, to this day, even kind of scan the crowd thinking, okay, maybe he really isn't dead and his parents... Just found our letters, and of course, didn't um, agree with him being uh, gay and attracted to another man. And so they like took him undercover and did something with him. But you know that was back in 1993. So, um, so yeah, I've got to got to let go of that.
0: Well, that it was that quite helped. a love story. There is that. Yeah. Yeah, he was, he was, uh, he was my true love. But now you have so many people that you help. Now your true love is almost the pride center, isn't it?
1: Yes. Yes, it is. So after 20 plus years in the corporate world, I had my mental crisis and said, there's got to be more. Why am I saving this multi-billion dollar company, millions of dollars? And um, so I... Um, was at that point having a uh, regional coverage with the, uh, company I was working for. And a friend of mine introduced me to the executive director of the, back then we were called the Gain Lesbian Community Center of greater Fort Lauderdale. We became friends. And so he started working on me. And so about six months later, he, he convinced me to quit my corporate job and, um, take a huge cut in pay and then start working at this little nonprofit that, uh, was, uh, doing HIV testing and prevention work. And, and, um, and so I started with the center back in 2006 as the director of development. And here I am 16 years later, and now I've been the CEO for, for 10 years. So this is my passion project. I truly believe in our mission. Uh, I do not want anyone who finds out that they are HIV positive to feel the shame, the guilt, the stigma that so many of us felt back when HIV first came onto the horizon and, and ravaged the LGBT community. So I said I wanted to be part of the solution and and fix the problem. And so
0: here I am. And you have built something truly iconic. Like I said earlier, the pride center has to be seen to be believed just in the years I've been involved, you know, pre pandemic versus now, my God, look at it, look at the work you do and look at how beautiful it is.
1: Well, you know, when we purchased our five and a half acre campus back in 2009, there were many in the community that said, you don't know what you're doing. You're going to fail. You bid off more than you can chew. It won't work. Blah, 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 all the nathers. And so we actually purchased the campus a month before the financial collapse. Um, the worst economic times of our generation. And had we not closed on the property prior to then, we never would have qualified. And so it was um, just, the stars were lined up and the gods were looking over us. And, and we actually closed on the anniversary of when uh, uh, Judy Garland passed away. So it was like a sign from Judy. And Judy is within the, the LGBT community and the gay community, especially among gay men, is, is our icon. We love our Judy Garland.
0: And Betty White. <laughs> Betty White was a big supporter of the LGBTQ community. I loved her.
1: And Betty Yes, Betty was very good. Yes, loved, 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 loved her.
0: So let's talk about some of the common terms used to define sexuality nowadays. Gay, of course, describes a man who is attracted to men. Lesbian is a woman who is attracted to women. And bisexual is someone who is attracted to both men and women. The term bisexual is also, I think, used interchangeably with the term pansexual, what about the term bicurious? curious
1: So, yeah, the, you know, there's a lot of labels and there's a lot of alphabets that um, people uh, in our community um, uh, identify with, and that is very fluid. And um, so bicurious curious is curiosity towards experiencing attraction of people of the same gender, sex, Um, uh, So bisexual, yes Loving men and women Pansexual, loving men, women Trans, people of trans experience Um, So yeah, there's a lot of terms out there And it continuously evolves And so even within the LGBT community It is not always, you know, not everyone is up to date So it's very easy Um, for me to forgive the straight, heterosexual, cisgendered individuals that find it very difficult to to keep up because it is. It is very fluid and changing and evolving.
0: Yes. And I take care of the LGBTQ community in my practice and especially transgender patients because they have very unique needs. And with the masculinization and feminization that I can do, in addition to the sexual wellness, I'm uniquely positioned to help. But even I get confused about the term sometimes. And, you know, it's a constant process of educating myself and those around me uh, about what that means. So we discussed by curious, what exactly do the terms gender binary and gender fluid mean? I guess gender fluid means that they are going between the two identities somewhat and then gender binary?
1: So yeah, gender fluid are individuals that um, will present themselves both in what you would call um, feminine and masculine um, normative ways. And so um, so they will those individuals will present as female or male, and it depends on how or where they are and how they are feeling, and it, and it's and it's very fluid, and and it's really kind of um, it's very delightful to see individuals who are expressing themselves and and being their true authentic self. <clears throat> it can be very confusing to those on the outside, but um, it is. An opportunity for people to, again, just be their true authentic self. And um, so uh, instead of having all of the labels and having all of the stereotypical ways of presenting themselves, there's that fluidity, there's that um, ability to interchange and, and mesh up different um, styles. And so it's it's uh, it's uh, um, one of those examples, again, of people just being themselves and depending on how and where they feel, that's how they present themselves.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, we discussed what gender binary and gender fluid mean, but what exactly is third gender?
1: So third gender is a person who does not identify either a man or a woman, but identifies with another gender. So the gender category is used by uh, societies that recognize three or more genders. And it's interesting. If you look through history, there actually is um, uh, uh, the um, cultures of millions of years ago, thousands of years ago that um, they had three genders within their society. And so um, it's a conceptual term meaning different things that different people use it and it's a way to move beyond the gender um, binary traditions
0: and you know something I find very interesting is that even Native Americans have this concept of a two-spirit I believe it's called where you yeah. can have qualities that belong to both genders so while they're not talking about a third gender it almost functions as one as a person who is fluid between the two it's a very forward thinking
1: Correct, correct and 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 here it's been around for many centuries in different cultures, and um, yeah, and many people are just learning about it now,
0: yes, and uh, it's interesting how now the conversation is coming more to the forefront, but the matter has existed since time immemorial, like you said yeah so so tell me what's the difference between a cross dresser And then a drag queen.
1: So a cross-dresser is someone who presents, and I'll use the example of a male who is heterosexual in the easiest terms. Someone who is a heterosexual man but likes to dress up in women's clothing. And that term has evolved over the years. And so if you've watched any of the uh, programs on Netflix or on TV, you'll see um, people that are cross-dressers. They're straight, but they love to wear women's clothing. And the um, difference between a drag queen is someone who performs And loves to present as a woman for those performances. They may be straight. They may be gay. In most cases, they're gay men. Um, But they love to perform. And they can perform as over the top as they can possibly be. Or they could look as glamorous as Cher and um, Marilyn Monroe
0: Etc. You know, one of my favorite places in the entire world is 801 Bourbon, the gay bar in Key West. Have you been there?
1: Oh Yes, I have.
0: Oh my God, so much fun. How could that even be illegal? So I walk in and there's Madonna playing, 80s Madonna, the good stuff. Their drinks were Uh to die for and the men had harder legs than any of the women there. I thought, well, this is interesting. And so they had a little show right there one of the drag queens gave a man a lap dance and he almost died of embarrassment but you know he didn't walk away he was having a good time and then i went to an actual show at 801 bourbon later that night and it was the most fun i've had in a long time it's when i was diagnosed with breast cancer i needed to do something fun and something you know just plain and simple positive in my life for lack of a better way to describe it and i'm telling you 801 bourbon was the way to go into chemotherapy I was happy. I was relaxed when I went to get my surgical port placed. I had just had the most fun weekend I'd had in a long time. So happy people, you know, welcoming community and just all round positive. So have you been to Lips? That is no, located can in- you believe that? I have lived in Fort Lauderdale now, except for a residency and a couple of years in Texas for 19 years. I have never been to Lips. We need to go.
1: You, yes, we need to go because they put on a great performance. It's a dinner and a show, and the entertainers are also helping to serve the food, and it's it's actually a riot. It and
0: really going is. with you, the VIP of the LGBTQ community. Oh my goodness, <laughs> Robert Boo! That will be fun. I will be treated very well yes. that night. So Thanks. let's yes, talk you about will. yeah. So let's talk about. What feminine of center and masculine of center mean? I was researching for this episode and I honestly never heard those terms before.
1: Well, so um, feminine of center and masculine of center is going to be referred to um, how that individual is presenting how they feel. So I um, can be uh, feminine of center. Um, in the way that I um, handle myself, the way that I present myself, the way I interact. Um, So uh, whether it's my center is feminine or whether it's masculine, how I an individual person feels and how they present themselves um, to the, the rest of the world.
0: And what does the term queer mean?
1: So queer has evolved. So when I was younger, I remember being on the playground and being called queer, very derogatory, not a nice term. And so it's very generational. So for example, we have the nation's largest weekly gathering of LGBT seniors. So within that Geographic or um, demographic, queer has a very negative connotation to it. But I love how younger people have taken the word queer, owned it, and removed the stigma and the um, the negative connotations that were once associated associated with that, and now say, "I am queer," and so. It could be whether they're uh, gay, bisexual, uh, lesbian. Um, so I love that we've taken that word, stripped away all of the negative connotations that go with it, and then repossessed it, and then taken control and moved it forward.
0: And so it becomes a blanket term for I'm different and I own it. Yep. And Absolutely. the other two words I've noticed are now being owned by the LGBTQ community are faggot and dyke.
1: Correct. So um, faggot again um, was is a very derogatory term. Um, so and, it, and it's one of those examples of if you were straight and you called me a faggot, I may be a little more offended. But if I'm talking with one of my friend who is also gay, and I call, call him a faggot, I have taken it as a, a term of endearment. I've removed that negativity, that stigma from it. So it, you have to be careful. You have to be, know your audience mm-hmm. um, and know who you're, you're um, talking to because, yeah, it could be uh, taken as a derogatory term just like the word queer was, and now, hey, faggot, how you doing? And, um, and so, again, we're trying to remove the old stigma that, that, that was there, the, the daggers that were associated with that term. And now we've, we've taken it, we possess it, it's ours, and we're removing that stigma.
0: And that's why this conversation is so important, is because we need to have these discussions. We need to talk about what these terms mean, uh, while fluidity is fine, we still need to understand each other a little better. And I think we need to have more respect for each other's point of view. And that's why I decided that this was an important topic, especially for Pride Month.
1: Absolutely. And and again, <clears throat> one has to remember, who is my audience? Am I talking to a generation that... Um, that those terms or those names were used as derogatory comments and slang? Or is it someone who a younger generation that is more accepting has taken it and own it? Um, so, yeah, even with my staff, I'm, I'm always like, you have to remember, who are you talking to? Because as a younger LGBTQ person, and you're talking to a, someone that's 70 or 80, you need to respect where they're coming from, and their experience. And so everyone's on their own journey throughout this whole process of coming out and accepting who they are and realizing who they are and and wanting to um, show the world who they are. Everyone's on their own journey, so you have to respect that.
0: So we've talked about the transgender community briefly when discussing the Bar 801 Bourbon, my favorite place in Key West, but let's talk about how the transgender community has evolved over the years.
1: So people of trans experience um, have always been a marginalized community, even within the LGBTQ community. Again, it's generational older gay, cisgender gay men may or may not understand the trans community, and um, and and the trans community has recently really been used as a red meat for trying to scare people and um, trying to use it against individuals and use it against society. And so, people of trans experience are finding themselves. They are realizing um, that they are not the body that they were born in. And so it's life is already hard enough. Life is hard when you're gay or lesbian or bisexual, and then to be transgender and to really um, expose yourself and to, to, really fight the society and the norms that may be out there, our, our, our trans brothers and sisters, um, really need all of the support that we can possibly provide to them and help them along the way. And so I, I look back at my childhood and I think, oh my gosh, what if I had had the gay straight Alliance or all of the Support systems that exist now for um, children, for young young people in schools. And Broward County is a perfect example. They have a very inclusive and uh, a, a whole department, even on racial justice and gender identity, um, that other school districts come and look at because it's a it's a great model that they've uh, built here. And so I I meet with parents of children that are of trans experience not the other kids that are having issues with the kids that are are trans it's the parents and so um, to imagine that someone who is five, six, seven all the way up into their teens is finding themselves and then wanting to express themselves and coming out and say Hey, I'm trans. I, this is how I feel. We need to provide that safe space for them to um, come to their own true authentic self, and um, provide that space where they can um, really come into their own being. So, you know, I think back of, of when I was in school, the lack of support, the lack of a safe space. Um, It really is um, – we have evolved quite a bit, but we have huge steps to take because so many of the um, trans children are being picked on and being um, excluded from sports. And the science is not there to support what the uh, people, the haters that that are saying – trans children should be excluded from sports.
0: No, that is a that is a difficult topic. Uh, I think I deal with it from a different angle because I have sometimes preteens coming in who are trans and then there's a struggle between parents, either mom's supportive and dad isn't or vice versa. And then usually there has to be a psychologist involved who does an actual evaluation of the child um, because, you know, I do hormone balancing and things like that. I help with feminization, masculinization, whatever the needs may be it's always a little challenging when you're dealing with somebody young because do they really know? Have they really decided? Are there other extraneous factors um, that may be causing this decision? You know, so it's a very complicated issue and certainly Mm -hmm. not helped by society.
1: And, you know, I think the, one of the perfect examples is Jazz Jennings. I met Jazz at the pride center when she was like only five or six years old. She had to, use a box to step on, to speak from the microphone. And yet here she was six years old. She could speak eloquently and with confidence. And And I looked at her and I was like, Jazz, I want to be able to speak in public just like you when I grow up and to have watched her grow into the young woman that she is today. And you know, she has, has, her, has her own TV reality show, Just Jazz. Um, really does give you a, a, a peek into the world and the struggle and the pros and the cons. So the loves, the hates uh, of, of the trans world that children are, are dealing with within our community. But yeah, she's to, to have watched her grow up has been a honor and a privilege for me.
0: No, I'm sure. So, tell me something. I spoke to Roger not that long ago and, you know, we you know Roger very well having worked with him all these years and we talked about polyamory. Now, why do you think polyamory is so big in the LGBTQ community?
1: Well, polyamorous relationships um are when there's multiple partners. Um, predominantly, it has been three uh, three people in the relationship. Um, sometimes they start off as uh, two people and a couple, and then they've decided to bring in a third. And so polyamorous relationships have been very common within the LGBT community. Most predominantly, I would say, there's no science behind what I'm saying here, but I'm going to guesstimate that it's most common within gay men as opposed to the lesbian community but within gay men um, polyamorous relationships are actually quite common Um, as opposed to if you look at our straight counterparts uh, it may not be as open or as um, readily seen as it is within the, the, the gay culture
0: In my research for this episode, I learned a new term today: scoliosexual. Let's talk about that.
1: Sure. So, scoliosexual are individuals who are attracted to uh, transgender and non-binary individuals, and so you know, uh, with all of the glossary of terms and meanings that uh, uh, I had even sent you, so. Scholiosexual is not something that I have used common in my vocabulary. I actually had to look at it myself and go, oh. Okay, that makes
0: me feel bad about myself.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. No, 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 yeah, no. Because when you when you asked me the question, I was like, uh-oh, oh, I better look this up myself. Even though it was on the, the list of uh, 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 terms that I sent you. Um, but it's not something that I have used in my common vocabulary.
0: So we've discussed this off and on during the episode, but let's discuss the Pride Center in particular. How does the Pride Center help the community it's in?
1: Sure. So the the Pride Center has been around this year. We are celebrating actually this month of Pride Month is our 29th anniversary. And so we have grown to the point on our five and a half acre campus where we are providing a safe space for we have the nation's. Largest weekly gathering of the LGBT active agers or in parentheses seniors, but I prefer act, we call them active agers. So every Tuesday, we have pre pandemic, we would have 200 people, and now, nowadays, we're building back up to that number. But um, we have coffee and conversation, and so for the first hour, it is filled with all the the generation that's retired uh, and so for the first hour they're sitting and actually having coffee, conversation, kibitzing, gossiping. And uh, this is a time that for many individuals, for them to be in a fully LGBT affirming environment, they don't always get to live in that type of environment. They were either married and had kids and then came out late Um So there's many reasons why um, coffee and conversation is so popular out of the growth of our active aging program. We've also um, applied for, and then built and opened up during the pandemic, the state of Florida's first senior affordable and supportive housing with um, programs and services, specifically targeting the LGBT community. And so, it was not our intent to open up during a pandemic because isolation and loneliness are two of the top four issues for um, LGBT seniors. But in October of 2020, we had them move, start moving into our uh, affordable housing uh, community and the campus was actually closed to the public. But um, so we have really grown our our senior programming. We have uh, provided our... Women with Pride coordinator, where we link the LBT community to um, healthcare providers that have been um, vetted to be culturally proficient to work with um, that specific community. Um, our transgender services coordinator, we do linkages services and help the people of trans experience uh, access the resources, the care um, housing, services, et cetera, um, uh, and then we also, um, do our outreach for HIV prevention testing, uh, working with those individuals that are already HIV positive to help stop the spread of the virus, and then also working with individuals who are at high risk in their sexual behavior, and we're trying to work with them to prevent them from becoming HIV positive. Um, and then uh, we have 30,000 square feet of meeting office space, and so we have over 60 groups and organizations that utilize our meeting room space on a daily, weekly, or monthly basis. Many of those groups are support groups, um, political groups, social groups, um, health and wellness, uh, the whole gamut, and then also on our campus, we have 10 other organizations that call Equality Park their home. Our whole intent when we purchased this campus was to create a campus of care, multiple services, multiple organizations providing those services so there could be this whole continuum of care for our clients. They could come to the center, get tested, be put into service, linkage for healthcare, care, um, spirituality, um, the, the whole nine yards.
0: You do such so it's good really work. Been, such good work.
1: Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a, um, um, a passion project for the entire team. You know, work in this to be millionaires and buy your mansions and yachts. You do it because you love the work and you're wanting to provide these services to the community. All we're trying to do is try to make our, our world a little bit better.
0: I love that you call it equality park because isn't equality what it's all about? And aren't we all just colors, different colors in the same rainbow?
1: Absolutely. And, you know, again, we're, all we're trying to do is provide that safe space for the community, no matter where you are on the spectrum, where you are on your journey where you are in your self-identifying uh, capacity. We just want to provide that space so you can be free, you can be yourself, you can feel welcome, and you're not going to get judged. You don't have to worry about um, people taking advantage of you. And so uh, it's really um, affirming to be able to provide that service
0: free to the community it's a safe space and don't we all need one yes everyone
1: needs a safe space
0: well my friend that's all we're trying to do yes that's what you're trying to do and you're doing a damn fine job of it and i can't imagine the pride center with anyone else at the helm but you my handsome friend <laughs>
1: You are so kind. You are awesome. I need to come and see you for some
0: services. Oh, you're funny. (laughs) You don't need very many, but absolutely, we can make a good thing better. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to seeing you on the 23rd.
1: Yes, yes, yes. And so I do want to say that um, on the 15th of this month, uh, we are going to be providing free meningitis, hepatitis, and COVID vaccinations at the center from 4 to 8 p.m. And that is being provided by the Department of Health of Broward County. Meningitis, there's a huge uptick in our community. Um, Just like there is uh, the monkeypox that has been talked about and there's been three cases identified in Broward County. It is not an LGBT disease. Anyone can get monkeypox. it, you can get it through anal, oral, and vaginal sex and that intimacy. Um, and so I w- want to make sure that the community knows monkeypox is not an LGBT disease. Anyone can get it. Anyone can get we it. We all have to be careful. Yes. yes.
0: And just to clarify, this is June 15th of 2022.
1: Thank you. Because, yes. you
0: know, I hope this podcast lives forever.
1: Forever. Forever. Forever.
0: Yes. <laughs> Well, my friend, thank you. Thank you. You are awesome. I appreciate this wonderful discussion. And as I said earlier, we are all colors, different colors in the same rainbow. Thank you so much. Until next time. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed the Doctor's Sex Fairy podcast today. I would love to continue this conversation with you. If you would like to get in touch with me, email me at askme at drsexfairy.com. Don't forget to follow this podcast and leave me a five-star review. And make sure you follow my blockbuster hit TikTok account, Dr. Sex Fairy.